If everybody was financially savvy, I'd be out of a job. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) If the education system did such a great job, I wouldn't be here. So that's the passion that I have with it, but I think it goes back to the the lack of education that we have in this country toward uh, financial literacy. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the wind-up and the delivery. Glad to have you back on Perfect Game Retirement. I'm Ben George. He's Ryan Ledden, President and Financial Coach over at Black Oak Asset Management. Today, we're going to kind of, I guess, take a little bit of a break from our usual financial conversations and talk about more about Ryan and and what makes him tick. You know, we've done this a little bit on the core over the course of the show, but we figured as we're here at episode number forty, Ryan, why not stop for a minute and talk about you and in the business and and kind of what makes you tick a little bit? Which is usually I do not like to talk about <laughs> me, uh, but I thought it was some of the questions that we have uh, I think are good just for people who may be tuning in do not know me at all. There's there's plenty of people who who do know me who are listening to this, whether they're clients or friends or family, but. Some people who may just be picking this up for the first time and, you know, hear a little about uh, myself, which, again, is not a comfortable topic to talk about, but still good to hear. Yeah. And even if you've heard us talk about this before, I'm sure you'll learn something new today over the course of this podcast. And we're going to put it up online, too. If you've missed any of our shows, you can find them all at blackoakam.com. That's also where you can schedule your Retirement Coach 360 session with Ryan and learn more about uh, everything he has to offer and the three other and the additional resources that he has on the website as well. Uh, before we even get into what makes you tick as a financial advisor, Ryan, I want to throw a little getting to know you question out um, to kind of to kind of get us started today on this episode. So I think this one's kind of interesting. If you could choose uh, one of these things to do for an hour, we got an hour of time, you can do any of these things. Would you fly? Would you be invisible? Would you be invincible? Or would you walk on the moon? That might take more than an hour, but you get the idea. <laughs> uh, I walk on the moon. That would probably be my least thing to do out of these four, anyways. I would say fly. I think that would be just for one hour to be able to do that and fly over some of the most scenic views you've ever seen. Uh, so yeah, definitely flying. Invisible. That's a little creepy. Um, <laughs> especially for an audience who does not know me at all. So yeah, let's just stay away from invisible, uh, invincible that that's probably a close, uh, second. I don't know what exactly I would do with that. So let's just take the mindless ability of being able to, to fly. That would be, that, that'd be what I choose. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think about invincible. Like, would you go out and just do some dangerous, reckless stuff if that was the case, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> Walking on the like, moon would be interesting, but I, I think like, I mean, I guess it would, if you had an hour, I guess you would, you couldn't really do a whole lot. You'd literally just be kind of standing and, and jumping in place. So yeah, it would just be the experience of going to the moon, but <laughs> right. need, you don't really need a full hour for it, I guess. But No, I could just jump around and be like, oh, cool. No, no gravity. Um, yeah. All right. I'm good. Let's go back. <laughs> all right. Got it. Um, who knows? We might be doing that in the near future though, as, as, as space programs change across the country. So um, very cool. Well, let's jump into uh, what makes you tick actually as a financial advisor. And, and, and uh, you know, you can go back to the beginning of the show. We did a little getting to know you with with Ryan to kick things off all the way back again, 40 episodes ago. So there's a little bit more of this conversation, maybe a little bit more, more detail if you want to learn more about Ryan. But we thought, hey, let's pull back the curtain a little bit and, 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 and let you kind of understand a little bit better what makes Ryan tick as a financial advisor. So 
You know, I think one of the biggest things with money oftentimes is that we have people that really influence our lives. Um, for you, who was that, Ryan, that really kind of helped shape the way you looked at money and wealth? And are there any specific lessons that you really kind of remember from that? Yeah, I think a lot is ingrained in you um, from a young age. And you always kind of hear people talk about, you know, oh my gosh, my, my kids couldn't be so different. They're raised under the same roof. And and that's kind of how me me and my sister are. She has uh, her her strength. She's very artistic. Uh, she's interior designer. I, I'm not any of those at all, but I'm very process-driven, uh, math-driven. So our experiences weren't a whole lot different, but I mean, my mom and dad are, are two that started shaping that. And so I, I preface all that with my sister because she grew up under the same roof and she maybe didn't notice the same things that, that I did. So my dad worked um, in for a power company, Georgia Power, or the Southern Company, uh, and he worked there pretty much his entire career. And I would always see him bring his stuff home. And I'm wondering like, what, what are you doing? I remember asking as a probably elementary school, maybe, maybe sixth grade, but I'd see his stuff and papers all laid out. I'm like, what, what is that you're doing? He's like, well, I'm doing a budget. I'm like, what is that? What is a budget? And he started talking to me about, oh, that's where, you know, money you bring in and then you spend money. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to track everything, every single thing that you do and you project that out. It just blew my mind in the beginning. He's like, well, yeah. So the more he cut talking about it, so the the, the budgeting aspect kind of started to sink in there. But my mom, who from a savviness standpoint, or I should say from an investment standpoint, it wasn't her uh, wasn't her forte, but she was very um, frugal. I'm not going to say cheap. We lived a very middle class type lifestyle. We mm -hmm. didn't go without. So we, we didn't, you know, like Dave Ramsey said, eat beans and rice all the time because we, we were fine. But my mom was frugal. Uh, and when I say frugal, she hardly ever spent any money on herself. Um, now, she didn't spoil us, but if we needed something, we got it. Right. So from a managing money standpoint, I learned a lot from them. When it comes to the investing side, I learned a lot just from my experiences when um, when I was drafted out of uh, out of high school. So when I got a signing bonus, and again, those of you who don't know me out there, I didn't get millions and millions of dollars of signing <laughs> bonus, but I did get enough to where I was like, okay, don't mess this up. Yeah. Like, don't screw this up. And a lot of guys do. Uh, so luckily, I had great parents. My dad already had a financial advisor, and so I just used his advisor. Didn't know much about him, but where was I going to turn as an 18-year-old? who got uh, a lump sum of money. So my dad said, okay, you get, and I can't remember the exact dollar amount. I think he gave me five grand or 10 grand to do whatever I wanted with it. Probably five. <laughs> hmm. um, but the rest of it I had to put away. Uh, so I'm glad he did that. So my mom and dad were, were a big part of that. Obviously my, my advisor at the time helped. Um, there's a lot of things I look back and go, holy cow, I would have done things a whole lot different uh, if I know, know now what I know then. So there's been a lot of influential people, but then just experiencing watching other players, how they spent money, what having conversations with them, how they invest, what do they do? So I think that's where the wheels started turning. And then my last year when I was going through rehab uh, with shoulder rehab, I had shoulder surgery, tore my labrum, capsule was all messed up. So I had a lot of time and, hmm. and a ton of time. And that kind of good is going to lead into our next question here. But I literally read a book and it's sitting here on my desk as we're doing recording this podcast. It's called, and this sounds like a page turner, I know. 
the Consumer Reports Money Book. I mean, literally, that's what it's called. And it's 513 pages of the driest, boringest financial stuff you've ever tried to read in your life. But I burned through it in no time. And that was the book that kind of started my path, if you will, to this industry. It took a different turns along the way, but uh, I, I would have to say my mom and my dad, and then being fortunate enough to get a signing bonus where I had an advisor, where my dad pointed me in the right direction and just learning from my peers. Yeah. Cause you don't, you know, it, you mentioned the kind of the story of how you got into this a little bit reading that book, which again, does sound like a real page turner. I might have to Jeez. borrow that from you sometime, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you don't usually think, okay, professional athlete, you know, a lot of times the stereotypes that, Hey, you guys aren't very good with money. So for you to go from that spot to a financial advisor, how, how did that transition work? Was it truly just reading that book and just taking that interest in money and then you know taking it to the next level? Because I know you've talked a lot about wanting to learn and you always mm -hmm. try to educate yourself more and more. But how, was, how did that process look to get from athlete to where you are? Yeah, I mean, the, the book wasn't the only thing. I do remember as a young kid, and, and this is in the, um, the book that I wrote in the very beginning, it does talk about, I remember my mom giving me a few pennies of change or something like that. We were at McDonald's and there was leftover change from us going to McDonald's, which we didn't go to very much. But when we did, then she would hand me the change. And I remember thinking, wow, if I just keep this and then keep adding to it, like how much could I have? Which as a little kid, you have no concept of how much seven cents is. You have no idea. You have no idea what that can purchase. But I still, the concept of saving that and keeping it and saving more, what would that do? And I distinctly remember that. I was probably four, maybe five years old. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know why that memory just sticks out of my head, but it does. Yeah. And again, that's where I go back to some of the stuff's just in, in your DNA. You're just hardwired for certain things. And the concept of money and saving was was always there. So once I had shoulder surgery and knew there was a very distinct possibility that I was not going to make a career out of this, that, that my runway was almost up. Because um, shoulder surgeries, you're either you come back or you don't. And there's no real in-between. And I didn't. Uh, I could not throw at that level anymore. But I started to see the writing on the wall. Okay, I'm 24 years old. I'm coming off a of shoulder surgery. How many people are going to be waiting in line for a 24-year-old who just had shoulder surgery? And um, I wasn't, a, like I said, it wasn't a big bonus baby is what the, the nickname we gave these guys who were, you know, top picks, bonus babies. But in those Bayou opportunities, they do. Uh, and I was not. And so I had a good run for a few years. But then when that surgery happens, it's like, okay, you got to remember there's a new draft class every single year coming in. I mean, it is yeah. cutthroat professional sports. So between that book and then once I knew I was going to have to go back to school, enrolling back in school, I wanted to do something along the lines of economics, just wasn't sure what that looked like at the time because I haven't been in school for six years uh, being drafted out of high school. So the book was a big part of it. But then once I started taking classes, um, there was one class at University of Georgia. It was a history class, but it was like the history of economics, which again, for some people, it's probably like, oh my God, that sounds awful. But I loved it. I love that class. And that that's what kept me going into the different classes. Uh, at uh, at the University of Georgia. Well, that's cool. I mean, most people, you know, when they 
when they see their career coming to an end, I'm sure whatever career it is, you, you know, a lot of times it's easy to kind of get down on yourself and, mm-hmm. and, and not look for that next opportunity, but you, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So that's pretty cool. We talk about influential people, you know, growing up, but what about in the business, the industry itself, when you, you know, your peers and, and people maybe that you've looked up to a little bit to, to kind of help you form you know, your strategy and your process, that type of thing. Who, who are those people? So there's some big name household uh, name individuals, but I want to start with uh, and you know fate, destiny, whatever you want to call it. I, I do think uh, there's a lot to do with it. So my first job, um, again, some people know this already. I was a I was a high school teacher. So when I graduated University of Georgia, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I still wanted to be involved in baseball somehow. Uh, I had an opportunity to coach at the professional level, even to be a scout. But I was like that. I don't necessarily want to do that. Uh, I could still stay involved in the game, but I just didn't want to. So became a high school baseball coach and an economics teacher. So kind of two birds of one stone there. So I enjoyed doing that. Did that for seven years and then had the itch of really doing what I do now. That was a passion of mine that I wanted to do. So in my early 30s, I wanted to make a break. So I did. So I, I started with a large insurance company. Did not enjoy it. Great company, great training. Uh, I've said this before, so I'm you know I'm not going to mention their name or bash them because they're a fine company. Still, know people who work for the company, but it wasn't for me. Uh, and that's what happens with a lot of people. You kind of go through jobs, okay, that wasn't for me, and then you figure out what is. So I'm taking one of my licensing exams uh, while I was at this insurance company. I was taking my Series Six. Pass a guy in a parking lot, hear a horn being honked, and I look over and couldn't see who it was. And I started walking over the car and it was a friend of mine uh, growing up. His name is Eddie Overdyke. Uh, he uh, talked to me, said, hey, what are you doing over here? I thought you were still teaching. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I got out of the industry. I'm taking my series six. And he's like, oh, wow. Okay, well, cool. I'm in the industry. I'm not looking to hire anybody, but hey, if you ever need any guidance, uh, someone to talk to about the industry, I'll be happy to uh, help you out. Hmm. Okay, so fast forward, another six to eight months goes by and he calls me back up. And he owned the firm that I now own. Um, But he says, hey, I just took over this firm and I was on my way out of this insurance company. And so it just, the stars kind of aligned. So I came on board with the, again, Black Oak Asset Management, which I own now, but Eddie was the owner. Uh, So I worked under Eddie. He's a highly intelligent guy, smart guy. So I learned the ropes, if you will, working underneath him uh, for about five years or so until he decided to to get out of the industry and focus on other things in real estate. So he was a big part of it uh, to start everything. Um, obviously, Dave Ramsey has been a huge influence in my life, uh, being a Ramsey advisor now. I feel very fortunate to be a part of that. But he started through Financial Peace University, me taking that class, listening to his countless podcasts. And uh, now being a, a, a Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, so he's been, he's there. Chris Hogan, who's not with the Ramsey Solutions um, group anymore, but he's still been instrumental in the things that he's done. Uh, but then outside the industry, again, Darren Hardy, Brian Buffini. I mean, there's a lot of people I could point the finger at. And then my mentor now, he's my advisor coach. His name is Dan Capril. Um, he does an advisor coaching program, and he I would not be anywhere close to where I'm at now. If it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for Dan, uh, he's kind of showed me the way of how to run a business, how to be profitable, and maybe I would have got there, but it would have taken a whole lot longer on my own uh, instead of following his lead and, and showing me uh, the ropes on how to be a business owner. So I have uh, a, a lot to thank Dan Capril. Yeah, Dan does a great job, and we talked about him quite a bit on the show. So mm-hmm. very good stuff. Um, let's see. So gone through you know a lot of your 
your influences along the way. What about frustrations? Um, you know, you work with a lot of different people that come in with all kinds of different experience in terms of how to manage their own money. But what are the frustrations that you have with the way that most people are planning their retirement that you wish you could just, hey, wave with a wand, fix them immediately? Yeah, that's a great question because you could point to a lot of different things, but I think it goes back and, and me being a former educator, I think I can speak very intelligently on this because I've been in the trenches before. I think our education system does a terrible job of educating the masses of people on the simple fundamental things. And, and there's kind of my, my crossover with being a coach. Like you do, you got to do the fundamentals first because then everything else looks easy after that. You see these guys on TV fielding ground balls and throwing it to first base. Well, they make it look like it's so easy because that's a fundamental thing. Fielding a ground ball and throwing it is right. very fundamental. Now they've done it 10 million times. And so it looks like it's so easy. Well, the education system's the same way. I mean, I don't know how many people I meet with and, and I still tell people I'm a teacher. So when people come in my office, I teach them about this stuff and they're like, why wasn't this stuff told to me 20 years ago? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that. Now there's some things in classes that may help with that stuff, but it should be like a required financial literacy class that people have to take whether it's you know educating people on, hey, when you get a job, you're going to get this thing potentially called a 401k, and they're going to throw <laughs> it in your face and say, here's the investment selections, here, go. Right. Most people have no clue what to do, and that's not their fault. So that's why I did teach Dave Ramsey's personal finance class to my, to my kids uh, when I did teach economics. And they were a senior group, so it, most of it applied to them. Some of it didn't, but most of it applied to them. So I think it should be required learning. So I think you start with the root of the problem and a lot of this stuff, I don't know if it fixes itself because we still are human and we still make bad decisions sometimes. And so I, I think the, the education process on the front end, uh, but then people don't know how to save or aren't disciplined enough to save. That problem's probably not going to go away because some people are disciplined to do it and some people aren't. But guiding people along the way and helping them with that is, is where... We come in as advisors. Now, if everybody was financially savvy, I'd be out of a job. Let's be honest. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if the education system did such a great job, I wouldn't be here. So that's the passion that I have with it. But I think it goes back to the, the lack of education that we have in this country toward uh, financial literacy. Yeah, just it, I think that's the one thing that like, anybody in this industry talks about, right? Is like, why can't we? Why can we not prepare people a little bit better? And it seems so obvious. There's just so many little fundamentals, as you call them, right? They're just yep. just basic things that we should be aware of and should know about. But for whatever reason, we don't find that important enough to teach early on. And I'm I'm all about people making choices and having the freedom to make choices. But there's one thing I'm been all for is is forcing people if they have a retirement plan that they're automatically enrolled, like no if, ands, or buts about it, they are automatically enrolled. I used to be like, oh no, that's their choice. Let them do it. No, there's going to be a retirement problem one day with people. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be working too long because they don't save. They don't capture the match. They think even, oh, if I put in 3% and I get 3%, I'm good. I get the full match. I don't, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people go, oh, I max out my 401k. Like, oh, great. You're putting 19500 in there? No, 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 no. I'm putting the full match. I'm like, okay, that's a big difference. Big difference. And again, that's yeah. part of the education process. 
sorry, I don't want to go too much on the soapbox there, uh-huh. but it's, um, you know, I, I think making that mandatory is, is huge because it forces people to save and they realize, oh, wow, I didn't really miss this out of my paycheck. It's not really that big a deal, but people think they can't afford to contribute to a 401k and I, that's completely backwards thinking. Well, to your point, and I, my wife, who's a very, very intelligent person, she's smarter than I am, mm-hmm. but money is not her of thing course, at all. Of course, right? uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Money is not her thing. So yeah. when we when we got married, like I was you know, going through, I kind of managed you know, our finances, especially like retirement accounts. And I, I looked at hers and, and she, you know, she'd been contributing money all through, you know, her working career, which is great, but she hadn't invested that money. Like, right, she was just contributing the money, but didn't pick out any investments. Just assume, like, you're putting money in a 401k, well, it'll take care of itself. Like, didn't know you had to select investments and then, you know, all that stuff. So all she did is just a pile of cash sitting there and had Mm. for, like, you know, years. And it just blew my mind. But, I mean, to your point, like, that's just something that's not completely obvious and clear to everyone. That's right. That's right. It's tough. And a lot, yeah, some some plans, um, they they just go into a money market type account. So that's probably what it was. It was just sitting yeah, in, a, in exactly. cash. And now most most 401ks have kind of moved, to, uh, not to get too much in the weeds, but some 401ks have moved away from that where they'll at least put them in a target date fund based nice. off of their age. Yeah. Um, so at least it's something. And you don't get me started with target date funds. But, um, but that would be better than just cash, right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Better than just cash because that's, in, you know, you're losing money because inflation is chewing it up. Yeah. All right. One more for you um, about your job. We'll move away from <laughs> the, all these issues that we have. But what about what's gratifying for you? Uh, gosh, this could be a long answer. So I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it short. But it, it's honestly when you know you are adding value to people's life. And this is, you know, me, the non-sentimentalist, because uh, you just asked my wife, I'm not sentimental at all. But it, it's providing value, not being a sales pitch guy um, where they feel comfortable with giving you their life savings and coming up with a plan, walk beside them the entire way throughout the process, whether it's their working career retirement career. So they don't have to focus on this stuff. I mean, money management, retirement income, investments, taxes, this stuff can be completely worrisome. And I'm not saying people are just going to completely forget about it and not have to worry about it. But like you didn't work your entire life then to worry about money again. Um, It's you work your entire life so you can enjoy retirement and do the things you want to do. So I want to, if we can take a piece of that off people's plates and so they can focus on the more meaningful areas of their life. Great. That's where I get the satisfaction. And, and sometimes this doesn't happen all the time. I wish this happened all the time. But coming up with a retirement plan for people knowing they can retire sooner than they think. I mean, that's happened a handful of times where you look, the look on somebody's face when they realize they don't have to work five years, they just have to work two years or whatever that example looks like. It's awesome. And some people can do the work lifestyle where they work a little bit and still retire because they love what they do, but that's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people cannot wait to retire and be done and know that they're going to be okay. So walking people through that and seeing that look on their face is, uh, is awesome. And also knowing that they may not have to have as big a nest egg as they think, because they'll read a an internet article saying, Oh, you can only take 4% out of your investments and you need a million dollars just to create 40,000 bucks. Well, if you just look at the surface level of that, it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> how am I going to survive that? But then you start factoring other things anyway. So 
it's uh, the, the gratifying thing is just being able to give people, and, and I don't like saying this because it's so cliche and it's a peace of mind. That is, it is true. I can't think of another saying that makes that better. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, oh, what keeps you up at night? I, I, little slogans like that I can't stand, but the peace of mind is essentially what, because I'm not selling anything tangible. Um, it's a service, it's a service business and being able to sell that the the peace of mind aspect is 100% gratifying. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's the whole reason you do it, right? You you want that's people right. to be successful with their career as well. Um, all right, Ryan, well, let's close it out. Uh, we learned a lot about you today, and I pretty appreciate you opening up. I know it's not always something you like to do, but um, <laughs> no. we got it documented now, and it's on the podcast to live forever. <laughs> right. So anybody right. that wants to learn more about you can. And it's always cool. It's a very, it's a very unique story. I know there's not a ton of financial advisors out there that have gone down the same path that you have over their career. So it's really kind of cool to hear how it works for you. But if you do want to learn more about Ryan or, or actually sit down with him and start looking through your finances or try to become more educated, ask a few of the questions you think might be obvious for people, but you know, he's, his goal there is to help you out. The best thing to do is go to blackoakam.com. You can schedule your retirement coach 360 session there online. There's also information on seminars, workshops that he has, webinars that are available. So Plenty of things there for you as well, but you can also call Ryan directly at 470-508-0508. Ryan, appreciate the time as always, man. Always good to kind of hear your story and I appreciate you sharing today. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed it more than I thought because it, <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot more philosophical and less about, uh, yes, it was about me, but a lot more philosophical. So I, I enjoyed it. No doubt. We got more episodes to come. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcasting app you choose to listen on and we'll talk to you again on the next episode. The Perfect Game Retirement Podcast is brought to you by Black Oak Asset Management, serving the greater Atlanta area with offices in Alpharetta, Cartersville, and Macon. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledden, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Black Oak Asset Management and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.